When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken here back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio. This time, we are bringing back, as I refer to him, a repeat offender. And that's Adrian Swinsko. And we're going to be talking about his latest book, Punk XL. And we'll tell you what that's about in just a moment. A couple of quick announcements. If you've got an amazing customer service story that you want to share, go to any of the social media channels because I am there. And if it's a question that you want to ask, use the hashtag AskShep and I will answer it there. I'll answer it in an article, a video, maybe on this show or maybe my TV show, which is Be Amazing or go home. And that can be found on Apple TV, Amazon, Roku, uh, some other streaming channels. And you can actually go to beamazing.tv. That's beamazing.tv and capture some episodes there. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, back in the house again, Adrian Swinsko talking about his new book, uh, Punk XL. And it's not just Adrian that has written this book. He's brought along a number of his friends. First of all, welcome back to the show. Hey, Shep, how you doing? It's great to be with you. It's great to be here. And everybody can tell he has a Southern accent, that Southern <laughs> London accent. Well, uh, actually, and I'm, a, I'm an expatriate Scot living in the Southern part of England. There you go. <laughs> so, well, it's good to have you back. And uh, we've met through a number of opportunities to be together when we did some conferences for Pega World. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've known each other as influencers in the customer service and experience space. And you, your first book, which was called uh, Punk CX. Well, uh, that, was, that was actually, to be fair, that's the, the third one. The well, first see one, how far behind I am? First one was like more of a, a thing I published back in 2010. It was a bit of an anthology of stuff that I'd, I'd written. And that's not widely available. But the, the one that you might know is How to Wow, and that came out in 2016. All right. And that was sort of came out with Pearson. That was kind of grown up publishing. As you, know, you said before, it's... Um, more of a traditional business book. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Punk CX came out in 2019. And it's a, I guess, I don't know, a visual slap in the face for customer experience is what I call it. Yeah, well, I love the way it just so everybody, they can't see it, but I've got to describe like this book is very similar to your last book. It was just, mm-hmm. you read through this, it's not your typical layout and design. There's lots of art and pictures and it has kind of an edgy feel to it. And I think that's what you're trying to achieve. And sometimes the greatest companies in the world, uh, they have, it's not so much that they're edgy on, on like the, you know, punk, I think of angry, but I also think of edgy. They're on the fringe. And I think some of the best companies in the world recognize that you can stay in the status quo. You'll be like everyone else, but step outside a little bit. You're on the fringe. Maybe that's where my interpretation of punk uh, is, is and I, yeah, absolutely. Think? I think I think the thing about punk is that it's it 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 dares to be different. It dares to have an opinion, and it it dares to you know it's, it's okay with the fact that not everybody's going to like it, 
you're not going to have to like it. But at the same time, the book is almost inspired by the format of albums. So rather than having chapters, it has tracks. So it's, it has these short and pithy, very colorful, punchy sort of tracks. And a bit like in an album, you know, you don't have to actually have to like an album from song one through to song 12, let's say. So they've, you know, cover to cover, as it were. You might have three or four sort of tracks that you're, are your go-to tracks so every time you visit that, you know, that album. It's the same thing with this, is that... Right, you can open it up to uh, anywhere in the book and you'll you'll be on a different song, so to speak. Yeah. And and uh, But your first book, well, it wasn't your first, but Punk CX, which is first yeah. in the series of the punk the first books. album, let's call it <laughs> your first album. Um, that uh, that was really that wasn't a bunch of authors. That was you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that, that that was kind of born out of the. Um, so I've been since How to Land 2016, I'd been thinking about um, the a follow up or another book on the back of that. And I, I kept going around in circles because I didn't really want to write another kind of like the same thing another almost like trying to attempt a theory of everything and the punk cx one was born out of sort of frustration you know i was looking at the experience space looking at all the activity and enthusiasm and all the investments but i wasn't seeing a lot of significant improvements of customer and employee outcomes and i was a bit like why can't we just do better work and do different things and kind of move the needle a little bit on this and so being a fan of punk music, I sort of fused these things together because I made a this analogy was, or this hypothesis was that punk exploded at the back of prog rock in the 1970s, the progressive rock in the 1970s. And I thought there was actually some similar characteristics that the CX space was sharing with progressive rock in the 1970s. Like it was becoming overly complicated, metric, codified benchmarks, all these different sort of things. And I thought, well, if that's true, I sharing some of the same kind of characteristics, like you know, just more in more interested it's in itself. You yeah, know, it, complicated, the, more interested in itself than anybody else. Right. Then what I would mean, a punk version called uh, you know kind of look like? Yeah, I mean that was one of the things we talked about. You know, data. They kept talking about big data, or big data, mm-hmm. and it's like, why? What is the true definition? Big is because it's too big. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that it's big. We have a lot of it. No, big is too big. And the best people would analyze what truly needed to be, um, you know, uh, pulled out. Now, by the way, if you look at some progressive rock, granted, there may or may not be a lot of different players, uh, musicians Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. stage playing, but it's complicated. If you look at punk, pretty freaking basic. I mean, it's granted a lot of screaming. Okay. But, and it's a lot of loudness and you're making noise. And by the way, in the CX world, that could be good noise. But basically, you could have a drummer, a bass player, and a guitar player, and a screamer, or I'm sorry, a singer, excuse me. And there you've got your punk band. Well, there you go. And, and the thing is, about the, the beauty about punk as well is that there's a lot of variety in it because there's a lot of people that wrote really, really good tunes, but they were just very stripped back, very, you know, um, quite basic in their, in their arrangements, as it were. And well, I think that was... That was the thing I wanted to do, just kind of invite people to kind of go, let's strip it back. Well, let's let's talk about that book for one more minute or two. Mm -hmm. Give Mm -hmm. me like the three biggest takeaways from Punk CX, because if you don't have that book, that would be great to go to Amazon and buy both Punk CX and Punk XL together, right? Of course. indeed. So give us the three takeaways that are going to entice us 
to want to go and get that book as well? So um, in the book, I will, I start the, the first track in the book starts with a question. And I think it's an intriguing question that says, are you an artist or are you just coloring in? And if you want to find out what I mean by that, you have to go to the book. So I'm not going to tell you something. I'm just going to tease you. But I think the thing that they that try to do with the book is just deconstruct a whole bunch of different things with this view around how do we kind of tackle some of this complication to actually drive towards just producing better kind of outcomes. And it's all about inspiring ourselves to be a bit more creative and ingenious in how we approach these things because most people are, you know, painting by numbers, as it were, but we need more artists. And so uh, before I ask for a point, uh, so you didn't give us a true takeaway. You just tried to tease us. And I want you to give us a little meat in number two and three, but I just okay. want to point out that too many times companies, and I'll get, I just wrote an article about this. Um, they ask for information from uh, their customer survey, mm -hmm. you know, feedback, whatever it is. And then they don't do anything. So I have been doing an experiment lately mm -hmm. and I've been filling out surveys when they come to me. And I mm -hmm. include, even though it doesn't ask for it, when it says, can you give us any further comments? I'd love to talk to you more about this. Here's my name and phone number. <laughs> Nobody Fair ever enough. calls me. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I, That's the, coloring. That's just doing color by numbers. <laughs> so here's a, here's a takeaway um, is I think there's a lot of power in a thing called the Gemba or in a place called the Gemba. And Spell the thing that. is, so G-E-M-B-A, which is a sort of, I think, a, a spelling of the, of the Japanese word. And the Japanese Gemba. word. Gemba. V is in Gemba. No, Gemba. B, oh, for, B for bay or okay. better. Ah. So, um, and what it means is it means the real place. So um, this is an idea that was popularized by Toyota with their Toyota management system back in the, the 70s. And how what made them you know, um, one of the best and the biggest car makers in, in the world. And what they did is the managers used to go to what they called the, uh, the Gemba, which is like the real place, the, the place where value is created. And it's common in Japan because news reporters, when TV news reporters talk about reporting from the Gemba or crime scene detectives talk about the place of the Gemba. It's like the, the, where the real act happens. And I think the, the thing to do is to figure out where is the Gemba in your business and ask yourself, you know, how can I go there, you know, and how often do I go there to actually kind of really understand what's going on with your customers and what's going on with your employees? Because if you mm -hmm. do that and you keep doing that, that's where you get the real insight and the real feel and the real connection oh, about wow. what's going on. That's great. Do you want to give us one more before the break? Uh, okay. Um, If you're, if you're asking, if you're sending out a customer service kind of um, uh, feedback uh, survey to your customers, um, before you send it out, make it shorter. Shorter. Shorter is better. <laughs> How what short? What do we do? Arbitrarily, just chop it back. Yeah, Just because about the time you think, hey, this is it, look at it and cut some more. Exactly. Because remember, people that respond are doing you a service by giving up their time to tell you kind of what they think. So respect their time and keep it as short as you possibly can. And might I add to that, tell them before they open the survey that it is a short survey mm -hmm. that will take them under 60 seconds or, you know, three questions or whatever, but it makes them feel like, okay, I will do this. 
I've got one more actually to build on that. Oh, giddy up. When you ask that question and then you ask for, most people put in these comment boxes, like free text boxes. The problem is with people with, when psychologically with free text is people don't know where to start or how to start. So if you want to increase the response of that qualitative feedback, then start your customers off with a sentence. Like, for example, your service or your experience would be even better if dot, 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 complete the sentence. Ah, allow them to complete a sentence rather than just ask an open-ended question. There you go. That is, boom, that's huge. Anybody that got to 11 minutes into this interview will recognize that is a major, major keeper. I always believe and do one or two simple, um, you know, uh, scale of zero to 10, why would you recommend this? Or one to five, do you think? Or And then why did you give us that score is a good question. But I love the fact that filling in the blank, more or less, with the verbatim answer that the customer provides gives you the qualitative feedback you're looking for. We've been talking with Adrian Swinsko, the author of Punk CX and Punk XL. We're gonna take a short break. We'll be back, don't go away. Hi, Shep Hyken, your customer service and experience expert, and I'm excited to tell you about my new book, I'll Be Back, how to get customers to come back again and again. Now, this book is packed with idea after idea on how to, just as the title implies, get your customers to come back. In the book, you'll learn that repeat customers aren't always loyal customers. Now, both are great, but there's a big difference. You'll also learn about 10 reasons a customer may stop doing business with you and three reasons you would stop doing business with them. And one of my favorite lessons is a six-step process for creating an I'll-be-back strategy. Of course, there's much, much more. You'll start getting more of your customers to say, I'll be back almost immediately. Just go to www.I'llBeBackBook.com. Com. Again, that's www.I'llBeBackBook.com. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We are back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Adrian Swinsko about his latest book. We've been talking about Punk CX, but now we're going to go to Punk XL. Now, this is what I, my first question is, tell us what XL means. But before I do that, just know that CX is customer experience. Why didn't they call it CE for customer experience? For the same reason you're going to hear, XL means? Experience leadership. Experience leadership. Yes. Punk experience leadership. So let's go there. Uh, this is different, this book. You've mm -hmm. got a number of album tracks on here, if you will. And you've, um, just like uh, when... Uh, I know like Carlos Santana plays with all these great vocal artists. You've decided to step in. I know Carlos isn't a punk guy, but I don't know how many punk guys um, actually did, uh, you know, tracks with other artists. Although I guess you could say uh, Foo Fighters, David Grohl kind of has done some of that. Um, anyway, we're getting into the music. Let's talk about Punk XL and some of these amazing experts and what some of the content in the book is about. Okay. I mean, I think the thing about that, what I noticed was, so Punk CX came out in 2019 and then 2020 happened and 2021 happened and the kind of the, the world of experience sort of changed and different things kind of moved around and, and, and it became clear to me that it's no longer sufficient just to talk about customer experience in isolation. And I thought we have to, start thinking about it holistically. What does it mean for a, a whole kind of business? And then it struck me 
that, you know, we talk about brand leadership, we talk about market leadership, we talk about technological leadership, we talk about all these different sort of categories, as it were, but we don't talk about experience leadership and what that means. And so this book is, a, is an effort to try and explore what it means to lead on experience at all sorts of different dimensions in the book. So it, it tackles, it starts to tackle the, the, the individual level, the kind of the team and employee experience level, the organization level in terms of how you're structured and how you do things, the customer level, how you engage, treat your customers, and then beyond sort of that. I mean, I hasten to say it's not a, um, it's, it doesn't propound an answer. It's more of a conversation starting saying, well, I think we need to stop, we need to start talking about what experienced leadership is and what it means um, as we kind of pursue this kind of a more holistic and systemic approach to kind of delivering kind of these better outcomes for both our customers and our people. So I'm, if I were to ask, hey, let's talk about the three big takeaways of the book, you would probably say to me, well, it's not so much that there's a takeaway as much as a conversation starter. So can you give me several, just so I want to entice people, I want to give people some meat on this show, but I want to entice people to go out and, and really look at this book. And honestly, it is a unique book. There are some really interesting pictures. It's in, uh, it's in full color, at least it appears to be that, a lot of blue, um, a lot of uh, different colors. And it's just really a unique book in the way, it, and, and oh, this one's purple and black. Um, I'm holding it up yeah. so that Adrian can see it. I know you guys can't see it who are listening to this, uh, but it's really uh, some uniqueness. Give us like some, uh, if you are ROI here, start a conversation for me. So here's, a, here's one, which is in the blue section for, uh, for all you visual kind of like, you know, listeners out there. There's, a, there's, there's one track in the book which talks about the Jekyll and Hyde syndrome. Mm, and I read that. And, and what it is, is this idea that what's fascinating is we, obviously, we sometimes can find ourselves in situations where you end up with leaders or executives that are just, you know, they're regular people um, and they probably have their own sort of, you know, concerns about how things work and all this sort of stuff. But then they go into work and once they cross the threshold of their, their organization, they end up doing stuff to their customers that they would never find kind of like... Um, they wouldn't find them reasonable, allowable, kind of understandable. They would they never just, want to be treated that way. No, never want to be treated that way. And so you look at it and go, what the heck's going on there? So it's a bit like a Jekyll and Hyde sort of syndrome. So the question I would, I would, um, I would ask people is, so to look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, are you suffering from the Jekyll and Hyde syndrome? Are you doing some stuff in your kind of like work to your customers that you yourself would not kind of take? And if you Ooh. are, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> That's good. And uh, boy, too many times. I have to wonder. There's a question that we will use in a confrontational situation. We teach this in our training, that when you get to a point where you feel you're getting nowhere, the customer seems to be being unreasonable. You're trying to put your best foot forward. And, and I, I share this, it's a little di bit different, but my thought process was, how does this customer really want to be treated? Well, the only way we're going to know is if they were in the situation, how would they want to treat the customer? So we asked them, uh, hey, well, if you you were me and I were you, and I was the customer coming to you complaining for the exact same reason, what would you feel would be a reasonable uh, explanation or a reasonable you know way to take care of me? Yeah, and I mean, but yeah. building on that, there's a track in the book called Ask, and it's all about personalization. 
because research shows that while customers want it and think it's it's important, and companies and brands want to deliver it, the research shows is that they um, they don't have a shared understanding of what it actually means, and that's why we end up hitting we're sort of missing the targets, mm. right? And when you add in the changing kind of data and privacy sort of landscape and the removal of sort of third-party kind of data and cookies and all that sort of type of stuff, then increasingly firms, if they want to deliver a personalized experience, they probably have to rely on both their, to start relying on their first-party data, but then also move to um, create zero-party data, declared kind of data. So, right. so, so input- first-party data is actual data. If I'm on the front line talking to a customer, I am I am basically accumulating information about my customer. Yeah, so it's or like I could be watching already... their buying patterns through, you know, whatever program I use to sell to them online. Yeah, so you've got maybe got use statistics if they're using an app or they're using their the, how many times they've logged into your to your software or how many times they've visited different sort of branches if they've checked in or something or they've ordered kind of by a, by an app or whatever it might be. The zero party data is where you go and you engage your customers to, to actually kind of create that, be- that better understanding. So rather than just taking first-party data and then trying to guess from there, you actually go to your customers and go, so we know that you want to uh, you want a personalized experience, and we know uh, we'd like to deliver that to you. Tell us what that looks like for you. So rather than just asking for just this, this hard kind of like impersonal data, then go and ask them kind of about what would take it. Now, there's an example that I use about a company called, there's a retailer in the UK who did that. So rather than taking 100 different data points, they asked the customers three or four questions. And in doing that, they were able to get an uplift of between 25 and 30 kind of percent or so. They're there, those sort of numbers on their conversion rates wow. and also on their kind of like their basket size. That's for, huge. For, for, yeah, for an online business. Because they took the time to go and ask their customers kind of like what a personalized ex- uh, experience would look like. You know, I love that. Years ago, I remember Target sending me an email saying, look, here are the different categories that we can send you information about. Food, clothing, automotive, I don't know, whatever the categories were that you can go, because you can go to a Target store, like a Walmart store, and buy pretty Mm -hmm. much everything, right? Which of these categories are you most interested in? Now, Nike has taken it to a whole nother level with their program. And by the way, it's called, uh, I don't know if it's a membership or loyalty program. I just love it because what Nike does is once you enroll, they see what it is that you're buying and they only send you information about what you've been buying, not about what you could be buying that they don't know that you might buy or not. In other words, you know, I'm buying running shoes. They're not going to send me information on basketball shoes, you know, unless I buy it, you know, and then they know, oh, and but I also think they're smart enough to say, is it his size or not? Maybe he bought it as a gift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so who knows? But I love that. All right. We have time for one more little nugget from you. And I, I, that's not the one thing question. I know I wanted to get three ideas from this book. Give us another one. I know it, it might be a conversation starter, but I think you've given us some pretty good meat here to think about. I really- and by the way, for the vegetarians out there, I hope I didn't sound politically insensitive. There's a lot of there's a lot of green on this uh, plate right here. <laughs> um, so I'm just thinking about oh, here's one um, that I think that you'll like, given that you a bit like me are really interested in the service space and that sort of expanded into the experience space. And it struck me there's a track in the book called Advocate, 
And it struck me that um, many people in organizations uh, outside of service and help and support don't really understand what service help and support do or the extent of what they do. And that's sort of, I mean, you could ask yourself, they're like, well, they don't know because they don't care to find out or they just don't know, right? And so you look at that and you go, well, is that their fault? Maybe, maybe not. But actually, I'll tell you whose who's fault it is, is the people that lead that service and support and help functions to actually advocate and inform and educate people about this scale and the nature of the work that contact centers or service desks or help desk support teams can like do. And I know this for, and so I want people to start advocating and telling the story of the extent and the scope of the work they do, mm. because guess what? When you do, more often than not, people are going, wow, I did not know. And that's amazing. And oh my God, and blimey. And when you do that and people understand the impact that you're having, the role that you play, then you sort of get more involved in that because people understand the value that you bring rather than you just being shoved off in a cupboard somewhere. All right. So all you leaders of the customer support world out there, I, I know it's not your fault necessarily that the rest of the company doesn't know, but it partially is. I want you to go to your leaders, the leaders of the company, and I want you to make sure they know what's happening in that support world. And, you know, some of the greatest companies in the world, I love it when they force leadership, management, supervisors to spend time on the front line with customer support people or shadowing them or actually doing it for a short period of time to understand exactly what's going on and the power that these people uh, have within the company. I think calling them customer service department is the wrong words. Customer support is more definitive or indicative of what they do, but even better than that, their customer retention, their revenue generation, their loyalty, that's what they do. That's what they create. So they're your relationship hub. Yeah, it's it's a relationship. You're right. And they're on the front line making it happen with interactions one-on-one with the customer. We have time for a quick nugget. This is the last thing, the one thing question. What's the one last piece of information you want to share? And you know what? I'm going to make it easy. It could be something new or you just emphasize something we've been talking about for the last 20, 25 minutes or so. I would like to say that... So here's the thing. So as you said, I had 12 wonder, wonderful collaborators that contributed about, oh, some of the region of about 17 different t- tracks with me on this. And they did it, they, they range from San Francisco area to Michigan to Washington to Spain and the UK and all the way through to and then Dubai and then all the way through to Sri Lanka. So it's all, all we've, we've gone, we put our arms around the world here. But I think the thing is, is that we've done is that, which I'm really really proud of is decided we're going to do the whole thing for charity. And because it was such a collaborative project and in, in, in respect of kind of all the things that we've gone through, we've decided that all proceeds of the book um, are going to go to doctors without borders. Oh, how cool is that? Just an acknowledgement of the work that they do, kind of like, and for the last 50 years, but also what we've gone through, what we're going through, and what many people are still have to go through and are still going through. And so we're going to try and raise a bit of money for that. So if you, whether you like the book or not, meh, you know, but if, you, if you're you doing good kind of, for the world, if, if you're feeling charitable, then buy the book because then a bunch of, uh, you know, some of the money is going to go to, um, going to go to Doctors Without Borders. 
All right. And might I suggest that you go to Amazon, take a look at Punk CX and Punk XL. Take a look at those, pick them up today, order them. We're talking with Adrian Swinsco. He is the author and he is the, uh, what's the word um, you compiled? Uh, this last I'm the producer. Book. You're the producer. I'm the writer and the producer. All right. Thanks for being on the show. We're going to be back next week with another amazing interview on Amazing Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you then. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.